Welcome back to Don't Punt to Geo, your UNC football podcast on the Tar Heel Blog Podcast, hosted by TarHeelBlog.com on the SBNation.com podcast network. That is still a mouthful for me. Jacob Cowden and I recorded a podcast last week previewing the Pac-12. We are back to do the Big 12 today. So, Jacob, I know you are on a beach somewhere in California, so you're living your best life, but... I appreciate you taking away the time to uh, talk some Big 12 football. Uh, we probably should have saved Pac-12 for this week. Yeah, no, it's Pac-12 right before this while I was prepping. I was watching the Pac-12 media day. Uh, so could have done Pac-12, but, um, you know, I guess we, we'll we see what happens with Big 12. We got enough stuff going on. Yeah, and it's not like you're ever really going to glean anything groundbreaking from media days. Um, myself having been a veteran of three of them for the ACC, you know, it's nice to have a couple of sound bites and a couple of clips, but if you're learning anything groundbreaking, then somebody's doing it wrong, usually a head coach. Jacob, um, Texas and Oklahoma are still the class of the Big 12, or at least are perceived to be. Texas had the big Sugar Bowl win over Georgia. We've got the Texas's back takes, and meanwhile, all Oklahoma does is produce Heisman winners, number one overall offenses, number one overall picks, and playoff appearances. I would say it's the best place to start. Uh, the Lincoln-Riley train is humming. How do you feel about Jalen Hurts stepping in as Oklahoma's third straight transfer quarterback? Well, he couldn't have come into a better situation with Lincoln-Riley. Like you said, the last two guys, Baker Mayfield set the – Broke his own record for, for most efficient season as a quarterback. And then Kyler Murray either broke it or got real close to it as far as passing efficiency. I didn't, I was telling you before we started recording, I didn't love Jalen Hurts at Alabama, but you can't really argue with his resume. I think he has maybe one loss as a starter. Last year, even when he wasn't the starter, he came back and helped Alabama win that SEC championship game. Uh, the lo- roster is loaded, especially on offense at Oklahoma. And Lincoln Riley is one of the best coaches in the country just in his, his three years that he's been there. So I I think Hurts was the best quarterback they could have got. It's kind of like a stopgap. They have a, a five-star quarterback in this year's recruiting class will be a, a true freshman named Spencer Rattler. He's kind of the quarterback of the future. But but Jalen Hurts is a good one-year quarterback to give him a shot at at least winning the conference maybe getting back to the playoff. Yeah, and they've definitely got the weapons. Uh, they lose Hollywood Brown, first round pick of the Ravens, but, um, CD Lamb is back and he put up 1,158 yards last year. I'm really high on Grant Calcaterra, the tight end. Um, he only put up 400 some odd yards last year, but given Hertz's, uh, let's call them accuracy issues, uh, pushing the ball downfield, I think Calcaterra is going to be a huge weapon this year. Yeah, I like him. I like their running back as well, Trey Sermon. According yep. to Pro Football Focus, he's the the biggest uh he returns the highest percentage of missed tackles uh, near the line of scrimmage or or top 5. I thought he was number 1 though. So they are loaded on offense. The the one thing that I think they might have an issue replacing is four of their five offensive linemen went to the NFL last year. So Kyler Murray had maybe the best offensive line as far as NFL production protecting him last year. So that's one thing they have to replace. Jalen Hurts is mobile enough, and they do have enough weapons where he can get the ball out quick. I don't think it will be a huge issue, but that that's really the only not locked down position they have on offense. Yeah, and kind of, you know, 
counterproductively, it, it almost works out in Jalen Hurts' favor because when he beat Georgia in the second half of the uh, SEC championship game, it was him making plays outside the pocket. I mean, it was like Jeff Garcia in his prime. But it's an offense where you're going to get the ball out quick. Um, you don't really need the offensive line to hold blocks for three or four seconds, but maybe two or three times a, day, a game. So they're, they're going to be absolutely potent. Um, switching to their defense, they no longer have a stoops problem. So do you think the Oklahoma defense can take the big step forward that we've been waiting for? Uh, they, they return pretty much their whole back seven, including uh, Kenneth Murray, who's one of my favorite players to watch in college football. Yeah, Kenneth Murray's really good. Also like their cornerback, Trey Brown. Um, you know, as far as on the defensive side, the, the Big 12, you know, maybe more than any other conference in the country, like the defense is kind of just there because you have to field 11 guys. So I think, and Oklahoma has issues with that once it gets to the playoffs, giving up 40 something points, I think against Georgia and Alabama. But, but I think the defense is going to be one of the better ones in the Big 12. Um, and partly because of the talent, uh, Kenneth Murray, uh, and, and Trey Brown. So I think they'll be one of the most talented, but, but they're not going to be as far as like overall in the country, one of the best, but relative to the Big 12, I think they'll be near the top. Yeah. And really that's all you need to win in the Big 12 and probably to get back to the playoff. Um, do you and I both kind of see Oklahoma as the prohibitive favorite uh, for the 13th year in a row, basically, it seems like? I think so, and part of the reason is they have West Virginia, Iowa State, and TCU all at home. Texas is, is obviously a neutral site game, so the hardest uh, road game is Oklahoma State that they'll have, so partly because of that and partly just because I think they're the most talented team with the best coach. I think, I think they're the favorite, but Texas is, uh, the, I'd say on the same tier at them, even if Oklahoma's a favorite. Yeah, well, let's talk about Texas. Uh, obviously they played Oklahoma twice last year. Um, first game of 48-45 shootout that the Longhorns won, and then Oklahoma got them back in the Big 12 championship game. Um, the Red River rivalry is always one where you never really know what's gonna happen. <laughs> um, I, I was actually in Dallas for the game two years ago when Texas uh, stormed back late and uh, fell just short, but that would have been an absolute party if Texas had won that one. Uh, Sam Ellinger, feel like he's kind of getting the Bryce Perkins treatment where people might be overrating him. I mean, I've, I've gotten Tim Tebow comps on my Twitter timeline the past week or so. Is Sam Ellinger now so underrated that he's overrated? Yeah, I think part of the reason people are jumping to overrate him is because he's been on the hate train, like Baker Mayfield, and they went to even rival high schools in Austin and, and Texas and Oklahoma rivals, so I get why Baker Mayfield isn't a big fan, but like Terry Bradshaw went on a big rant about him. Everybody's hating on Sam Ellinger so much that I feel like everyone else in the country is trying to trying to overhype him, make him feel better, and I think he's a good quarterback. I think, you know, he's mobile, he's a good leader, like the... The USC game, what stood out to me two years ago, the one that they lost in Los Angeles against Sam Darnold, he really impressed me in that game, even though they lost. But I think like the Heisman talk is a, is a bit overrated for him. So I think kind of people are trying to be either on one side or the other. Where in reality, I think he's he's a pretty good college quarterback. Yeah, I, I think Texas is probably the second best team in this conference, but I am not as high on them as I think you are. Um, 
I know before we went live, you mentioned the LSU game early on, that being a likely loss for them. So we're not projecting Texas in the playoff. I'd go so far as to think they're going to take a step back this year. Um, returning a, or they're losing a ton of, um, talent here where, you know, I mean, Keontae Ingram is a blue chip running back, but he is a true sophomore. Um, like Oklahoma, they're losing a lot on the offensive line, but then, you switch over to the defense, and they had the second-best defense in the Big 12 by any measure last year. They're losing eight starters off of that. Yeah, no, they definitely could. T- I'm going – I think they will be the second-best team. I'm guessing you have Iowa State at second, but we can we can talk about that a bit later. I think their defensive tackle, Malcolm Roach, I really like him. And I think Herman and, and Charlie Strong before him, but mostly Tom Herman, have recruited well enough where with the losses – I'm really banking most on that offensive trio though of Ellinger, um, Keontae Ingram. Then I really, really like Colin Johnson, their wide receiver. Maybe putting a lot on the wide receivers is a bit much to put him second in the conference, but, but that's, I think they'll be good enough on offense. And Texas, like Oklahoma, has the talent to replace losing starters more than, than most other programs in the conference. Uh, I do think they'll lose to LSU, and I think they'll lose at least once, if not twice, to Oklahoma in the championship game. So that's why I I think a playoff is a bit much for them. But but yeah, I think they're they're second over Iowa State, TCU, kind of the rest of that that group behind Oklahoma. Yeah, and if you look at that second tier, I mean, they're at West Virginia, at TCU, and at Iowa State. And the Texas-Baylor game is salty enough to where, you know, even a trip to Baylor in November could be tricky. Um, I think I agree with you on the premise that Herman has his guys in there, especially on defense, to where they might outplay their uh, their age a little bit. But I'm just not sold on Texas taking the leap, although I'd probably have them as a top-five team for next year. Top five in the country for next year or top five in the conference? Country, I'm assuming? <laughs> top five in the country, yeah. I think Texas yeah. and Texas A&M are, uh, need to be looking towards 2020. Yeah, I think, yeah, the schedule is really hard this year. The LSU game early, I think LSU is, I don't think that'll be particularly close, but I guess we'll see in September. I think that week two loss, but I mean, last year they lost to Maryland week one and still, Still had a really good season, made it to the conference championship game, ended up beating Georgia. So an early season loss, like, they could still have a pretty good year from that, but I think it'll knock them out of the playoff early, which I, some people are saying they'll go to the playoff, which I'm, I'm not there yet, but I am higher on Texas than, than some other people are. Yeah, I, I, I still see three conference losses on the schedule, so I'm going to lean away from Texas a little bit. I'm going to be the low man there. Um, which would create an opportunity for the second tier, which I think you and I agree TCU and Iowa State pretty much represent that whole tier. Um TCU kind of got their defense back together late in the season, of course had the infamous cheese it Bowl that we talked about last week. Where are you on TCU? Um, I know Phil Steele has them as his number one most improved team, and you know whether or not you like Phil Steele, that's a good track record to have. Yeah, I think they're going to be really good. I really like their quarterback, Justin Rogers, that they have. And then Gary Patterson always has is such a good defense. I think he's an underrated defensive coach. I've Because uh, I grew up in Salt Lake City when TCU was in the Mountain West playing against BYU, my alma mater, and then Utah um, as well. So I watched them a lot growing up and then as they transitioned to the Big 12. 
uh, just can't be more impressed with Gary Patterson as a coach and as a defensive coach in particular. Um, and like I said, I like their quarterback. I have them fourth. I think Iowa State's going to be third, and I think you're high on Iowa State as well. But I think last year was a bit of a blip. They had more injuries than than I think people expected them to have. I think this year they'll be a bit healthier. And then they'll be top. I have them fourth, but I think they'll be close with Iowa State in the conference. Yeah, and and here's why I'm a little bit higher on TCU. So I'll break this down for you. Um, one, they return their whole offensive line. Two, they return their whole secondary and most of their defensive line. Uh, their linebackers always play like their hair's on fire. And then their road schedule at Iowa State, at Kansas State, at Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech, at Oklahoma. Uh, realistically, they should win at least three of those. If they hold serve at home, you know, I, I just see this being a little bit more favorable than where Texas has the obvious Oklahoma game and then plays the rest of the second tier on the road. Um, that Iowa State game on October 5th is going to be a big one for TCU, but I would say I probably lean TCU as the uh, second team in the Big 12 title game. So, okay, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have them second, but I, I wouldn't be, honestly, TCU, Texas, or Iowa State, I wouldn't be shocked if, if any of those teams are playing Oklahoma. I'd be shocked if anyone besides them were playing Oklahoma in the championship game, but any of those three, I think, are, are gonna be pretty, pretty close. Well, let's talk about Iowa State then. Uh, Brock Purdy kind of had a breakout as a true freshman, uh, once he got inserted into the starting lineup at quarterback. Their transition to um, the defense, I, I know uh, the Inside Carolina pod has made some comparisons to what Matt Campbell did with their defense at Iowa State when they kind of started their turnaround a year and a half ago. But I look at their schedule. They play Northern Iowa, then get a bye before Iowa, then Louisiana Monroe at home before their uh, road trip to Baylor and then the home game against TCU. I think they're going to come out of September undefeated, which – you know, momentum is not everything in college football, but it is something to that you would rather have than not have. So tell me about Iowa State because I think with you, you know, I'm not going to believe it until I see it that they can make the Big 12 title game, but I think they're definitely easily the third or fourth best team in this conference. Yeah, and I think over the last three-ish years, they might be one of the most improved teams in the entire country in terms of where they were before Matt Campbell got there and where they are now. Oh, no doubt. Their issue the last few years has been they've started one and two, like one and three, two and two, something like that, gone off to a really bad start, then had to get hot the rest of the season. Uh, they they haven't won the Iowa game in a long time, which usually Four sets years. them back. But this year they play Iowa at home. If they can get through September undefeated, then I think they have a shot to be, to have a really good year, uh, which has been opposite in the past. So they can break that trend of having a rough start and then like kind of having to play incredible at the end of the year to, to make up for it. I think if they don't have to do that, I think they'll be really good. I love Brock Purdy as well. I think he's the second best quarterback in the conference. Like you said, uh, he had really turned it on once he got put in, uh, due to some injuries. So. I don't think they'll make the, the championship game, but I think they could be special. And Matt Campbell, I, he has a incredible record against top 10 teams. He's like three and one or something like that. He has a winning record against top 10 teams at Iowa State as a head coach. He was formerly at Toledo. So I think I love the direction they're going. I actually talked to a former lineman for Iowa 
And he half most of our conversation was actually about Iowa State, just how impressed he's been with their program, uh, and Matt Campbell as a coach, what he's doing there, less the buzz around Iowa State. So I think think they're a really good program. I think they're another one that might kind of like Texas might be a year away, but they're going to have a really good year this season. Yeah, and just to touch on what you said about him against top ten teams, uh, beat West Virginia thirty to fourteen last year. Um, beat TCU 14 to 7 when they were number 4 back in 17 and against Oklahoma since Matt Campbell's been there they're 1 and 2 but their two losses were each by 10 points so if you look for a team that I mean Oklahoma's going to have them circled on their schedule but maybe that has a good counter to Lincoln Riley's offense I think you look no further than Ames Iowa which is not a sense I like to say too often yeah, and the one loss was Baker Mayfield's senior year in, in Norman, Oklahoma. So, which was maybe one of the best quarterback seasons we've seen in college football. So they definitely turn it on when they need to. If they can, can win some more of the, those other games that they lose. I think for them, the Iowa game is going to be huge. If they can go out of non-conference undefeated, which the Iowa is really the only one that they'll have an issue with. Then overall, they'll have a really good season. Last year, they lost their bowl game to Washington State, but they could have won that. So I think 10 wins is a lot for me, but I wouldn't be surprised if they got there. I think 8 or 9 would be really good season. That's kind of where I'm seeing Iowa State. Yeah, and, you know, it would be their third straight 8-win year, which is not the upward trajectory you want to see, but, I mean, it's really the realistic ceiling for Iowa State. So... So win 24 games in three years will be really impressive. Um, we, we've only really got two more teams that we have known quantities of. Let's, let's talk about the Baylor Bears. Uh, Matt Rule kind of has them ahead of schedule, in my opinion, after they got decimated in all of the gross, uh, stuff with, oh, what's his name? Art Bryles. Um, basically everybody he's playing is still in their third year. You know, were his recruits when, he took over from Temple and snuck into a bowl game last year. I don't really know what to think about Baylor. I can't honestly say I've seen them play under rule. Yeah, I've seen – I watched the Oklahoma State game last year that they won, and for some reason I watched the Kansas State game. I don't know why I was watching Baylor-Kansas State last year, but Charlie Brewer is a really good quarterback. Pro football focus likes him – more than I do. They have him as like a top three quarterback in the conference. I have him at um number five, it looks like on my list. But but I think Baylor's good. Matt Rule, he's done a better job. I thought after uh the whole Art Wiles thing that Baylor was gonna be kinda left for dead. So Rule's done a better job than I thought he would. I think they're one of those teams that they can beat maybe Iowa State or TC, Texas, like one of those teams I think they'll play. Um yeah, like you said, they play Texas in November and Waco, Texas for like gets really cold for some reason. So that's, that's always a, a tricky game. So they can knock off one of those teams, but I don't see them challenging for anything serious in the conference. No, but if they took a huge leap forward, um, the schedule would work out pretty well for them. Their non-conferences, Stephen F. Austin, UTSA and Rice. They get Iowa State, Oklahoma and Texas at home really making only TCU their top tier that we've kind of mentioned road game. Um, the close to their schedule is ridiculous. Uh, starting on Halloween, they go West Virginia at TCU, Oklahoma, Texas. So I think you could see a situation where 
Baylor spends a week or two in October in the top 25, but then settles into a seven and five type season. Yeah, the Big 12, they always do their scheduling so weird where they have kind of like the projected top teams just like kind of battle it out each for each other at the end of the year. Like one year, like Oklahoma, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and there was one other program, but like all of them were undefeated. Was, I think it might have been Texas Tech, but all of them were undefeated in conference. And then the last three weeks, they all played each other and kind of beat up on each other. So I think they've done a bit better job of trying to fix that scheduling issue, but it clearly didn't work out like that for Baylor this year. Um, so I think because of that, they're going to win at least one, maybe two of those games. But, um, yeah, I think seven and five, I think that'd be a good year for Baylor. Like people as good as they were under our brows, like Waco's a hard place to recruit. They haven't historically been fantastic. So I think if Matt Rule can just get them on the right trajectory and it's kind of going to be a longer process there than maybe some other schools, I think that's kind of all you can expect out of Baylor. How many recruiting violations do you think Chip Gaines has inadvertently or intentionally committed for Baylor? Inadvertently or intentionally? I think intentionally probably more than inadvertently, but but too many probably. Yeah, um, you know, you you talk about Waco as a hard place to recruit. Um, I, I I really wonder if there's like an HGTV effect for saying, hey, you know, they're they're showing Waco and it looks like a pretty nice place to live. But uh, make no mistake, I've I I know people who have spent time in Waco. It is uh, not the best place to live. Yeah, so yeah, especially when you're yeah. recruiting against Austin, Texas, which is one of the top five or ten livable cities in the country as, like, their main recruiting route for in-state players, at least. So, yeah, Austin and Waco are a bit different. Just a tad. Um, Oklahoma State, kind of another one in the middle tier, and I feel like they are kind of the Paul Johnson era Georgia Tech of the Big 12, you know, when you don't really have any expectations of them, they sneak up and put together a top 10 season. Um, I, I know you and I both love the receiver, uh, Tylen Wallace. Um, I'm a big Chuba Hubbard guy as well. So I think Oklahoma State's probably going to have the second best offense in the conference. What do you think they can do on defense? And do you think they can surprise us? Because they're kind of my wild card here. Yeah. I think Mike Gundy, I think he's one of the, most underrated coaches in the country in terms of what he's done at Oklahoma State, like as far as, you know, they're the little brother, maybe as much or more than any other program in the country as far as their in-state team in Oklahoma. But he's put together a ton of top 25 seasons, even some top 10 seasons. That one year they went, I think ended up number three in the country. I really like their quarterback, Spencer Sanders. I know we're talking about defense, so I'll move on him, but he hasn't played a lot. I think he's going to be pretty good. I think... They don't have enough on defense. They lost a lot of talent, and also there wasn't as much talent to begin as there has been at other programs. So I think they don't have enough on defense. I have them finishing fifth in the conference behind Iowa State and TCU because their offense is so good. And Stillwater's a a really hard place to play as well, and I don't think they're going to win this game, but Oklahoma does have to go to Stillwater. I don't think that'll matter big picture-wise. So... Short answer, I don't think their defense is enough to to get it done. I think that's what's going to cost them games against the teams they need to beat, like Iowa State and TCU. But they're one of the most entertaining teams to watch, and I think they'll be fifth in the conference, and uh, that's my answer. There you go. A little pro tip, if you still play NCAA Football 14, Oklahoma State has the best playbook 
in that game. So just, you know, if, if you're like me and you like to live in the past and still try to play college football video games, um, you can still skip it up on PS3. Uh, that, that's yeah. kind of. No, they do have the best player. They were so fun to play as in that video game. Yeah, I remember, I think I took, uh, Marcel Aitman to Heisman one year when I maybe started as an offensive coordinator and then ended up taking the head coaching job at Oklahoma State. And I looked at the playbook and I said, oh man, I'm going to put up some points. And I probably put up about 80 points a game that season. Yeah. Um, that kind of takes us to a good transition point. So what we're going to do is take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back to discuss the uh, bottom four of the Big 12. And we are back. Jacob, how was your break? You know, it was long. Took, uh, you know, got much needed rest. So I'm, I'm recovered and ready to go. Beautiful. Well, let's, let's start with the most entertaining, uh, case study because there are four teams that have turned over head coaches in this conference. Let's, of course, talk about the Kansas Jayhawks and Les Miles. Yeah, I was, I don't want to say as shocked as anybody because I think most people around college football were really shocked. I, you know, right off the bat, it's a weird hire. Les Miles doesn't seem to fit Kansas's timeline. Kansas doesn't seem to fit Les Miles's timeline. But, you know, bottom line, like, he's a really good coach. He, he had a lot of success at LSU and as well as Oklahoma State. So he's shown he can win in the Big 12. And if he can, if all he does is kind of get Kansas off the JUCO and JUCOs aren't bad, but what Kansas does is they recruit so many of them that they have to go back and recruit more JUCO players because they have enough time to develop their own four-year players. So if he can get them more four-year players, get them in Kansas, get their program going, uh, and at least get bowl eligible at some point. That's, I think, kind of what he's going for. The weirdest season, I think, ever in college football was when Kansas went to the, I think it was the Orange Bowl against Virginia Tech, and they had, like, a keep to leave like that. I don't know how Kansas did that because they're, they're never going to be, be a top program, but I'm, for anything else, lack of anything else, I'm interested to see Les Miles on the sideline during Kansas games. Yeah, I think there are definitely some parallels to be drawn to Les Miles at Kansas and Matt Brown at North Carolina, where you're looking at a coach who has been extremely successful, is probably at the end of his run, and really you're just looking to establish a base layer of confidence. Now, or of competence. Now, obviously, with UNC, we are setting the bar a little bit higher just based on what he's been able to do so far in the recruiting trail and with his assistant coaching hires that have drawn national acclaim. Uh, Kansas, on the other hand, they have won eight games in the past five years. So really any improvement is major improvement. Um, I was a little bit surprised that they let David Beatty go after he won two P5 games last year. Granted, they were against Rutgers and then randomly TCU. Um, your point about the JUCOs is a good one because that's been an issue going back to when they had Charlie Weiss as head coach and just kind of got stuck in that cycle of bringing in two-year guys or one-year guys and not being able to establish any continuity. So I guess all that's to say, I'm not going to watch Kansas play this year, but to watch Les Miles chew on some AstroTurf. Um, but yeah, it'll be a fun experiment. Yeah, I hope it goes well for him, but yeah, we'll see what happens with Kansas. Yeah, I'm not really 
Unless nothing else is on and they're playing Oklahoma, I'm probably not going to watch the game. Yeah. Um. Well, they did beat Texas three years ago, so maybe maybe tune in if they play Texas or when they play yeah. Texas. Um. Let's go to Texas Tech because I know you being a Utah native, you probably have a little bit more insight on Matt Wells. And Air Raid Disciple, you know, he kind of went off script a little bit from their typical Mike Leach, Cliff Kingsbury type of Air Raid. But what do you expect out of Matt Wells in year one and then maybe longer term? Yeah, I think he's a really good hire. I was – um I don't know the word, but when he left Utah State to go to Texas Tech, because I think Texas Tech is one of the harder jobs in the country just because Lubbock, kind of like Waco, is not a place a lot of recruits want to go. And at best, Texas Tech is the third, if not the fourth best program in its own state. Uh But but I think he's a good fit there. I think he's a really good coach. He's had He had success at Utah State. And Utah State is, when we talk about hard places to recruit, Logan, Utah, it's like two and a half hours away from an airport. It's incredibly cold. Like as cold as Utah is, Logan is just like the coldest place in the state. There's not a lot going on there. And what he did really well was he was able to bring in guys like Jordan Love, their uh, current quarterback at Utah State. Uh, underrated guy. I think he had just Utah State was his only Division One offer. They were able to develop him. He's been one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think that's something you have to do at Texas Tech is bring in guys that aren't going to get recruited by Texas, are not going to get recruited by Oklahoma, but guys who who want to be in Lubbock and buying into the program. I think in that sense, Matt Wells is a really good fit there. I think his offense is a good fit for what Texas Tech has been historically as well as the Big 12. So I think year one, I, I like Alan Bowman, their quarterback. They had a couple guys play last year. That's who I thought was the best player last year and who I think will win the job is Alan Bowman. I think they'll be, be middle of the conference, uh, get to a bowl game. Uh, so, so not a whole lot, but also under Cliff Kingsbury, I thought it was kind of a, a rail or kind of a, a circus there at times. So I think Matt Wells is going to bring in consistency. Uh, you know, get to a bowl game, get some upsets once in a while, and I think they'll be on the right track. But year one, I don't think expect anything other than than a bowl game. Yeah, I think a bowl game would be a pretty good uh, benchmark for year one. I am just interested to see what they look like. I know at Utah State, he had the expectations uh, when Chucky Keaton was there, and Chucky Keaton kept getting hurt, so it felt like Wells kind of stalled out at Utah State for a couple of years for reasons outside of his control. So I'm just kind of interested to see what he does now with the Power 5 opportunity, but should be interesting to watch. So I'll, I'll circle them on the calendar a couple of times. Um, yeah, like of Texas Tech, places- when they're playing Oklahoma, when they're playing Oklahoma State, like those those offenses, I think when, obviously Matt Wells wasn't in this game, but when Texas Tech had Pat Mahomes and Baker Mayfield at, uh, was at Oklahoma, I think they like broke the record for like total offense. So. Texas Tech is one of the funnest teams to watch if you're not interested in them. I think Matt Wells is going to keep that aspect, but maybe bring a bit more consistency, a bit more experience. Because Kingsbury, that was his first head coaching experience, and I think he got a bit overwhelmed at times. I'm still shocked that Arizona Cardinals hired him, but we can talk about that a different day. Matt Wells is going to be a bit more consistent, a bit more level-headed, if you will, but I think he'll keep the excitement there. So I think Texas Tech uh, made a positive coaching I think they got better even if it's only slightly with that head coaching hire 
Yeah, I think what you'll see is just a more balanced program, which Texas Tech's brand is just air raid offense and basically play Toro on defense. So, you know, we'll, we'll still see some tortillas flying in, uh, in Lubbock this year. Speaking of bad places to recruit to, um, Chris Kleiman, the old North Dakota State head coach, takes over for Bill Snyder at Kansas State, probably about three years overdue. This is a program that, more so than any other in the country, actually excels with JUCO players. Um, I know you do have a pretty decent JUCO pipeline out in Kansas. But, you know, this is a team that's got to run counter to what everyone else in the Big 12 is doing. They're going to run more power, you know, employ a fullback and two tight ends on occasion. Probably a team that if you polled Big 12 players, you would say, yeah, we really don't like playing Kansas State because they're tough as hell and just kind of gritty. Um, do you think Kleiman con- continues that trend at uh, at Kansas State with uh, Bill Snyder moved on? Yeah, I well, you know, Kansas State needed a change with the second Bill Snyder tenure. I think Kleiman, what I was impressed with at North Dakota State, obviously on top of the the national championships and and the winning was was his quarterback development. Obviously, yeah. uh, the Eagles quarterback Carson Wentz played at Oklahoma or North Dakota State, and he he's been really good in the NFL. And then they had a I forget I'm blanking on name, but they had another quarterback drafted this year. So I he think stick. if he can do that, I think he's a good fit for a program like Kansas State, where you know the more we talk about, it, I didn't realize this, but there are not a lot of good places to recruit in the Big Twelve. The more more we're talking about it, right? But but yeah, Kansas State's <laughs> one of those those gritty programs. Uh, they're gonna get more some JUCO guys, some three star guys, and, and just develop them. I think Kleiman's shown he can do that, and if he can do it in Fargo, North Dakota, he can do it in Manhattan, Kansas. So I think year one, you're probably not gonna see much difference, but I think year two, year three is where you'll see kind of an upswing for Kansas State. Yeah, I think they're going to be interesting. Um, the biggest red flag for me is that when Seth Luttrell interviewed for Kansas State, all accounts were that he was going to take that job. And then basically at the 11th hour, Bill Snyder said, hey, you need to keep these assistants on staff. And credit to Seth Luttrell for sticking it out another year at North Texas. So my fear for them is that uh, Snyder's still gonna have enough influence over the program to where Kleiman really won't be able to do everything he wants to do. Um, fortunately for him, they do kind of run similar philosophically to what, uh, Snyder did. So maybe it's a little bit better of a fit. Yeah, Kansas, they, they, um, those programs, I'm only thinking of the Los Angeles Lakers because we're talking just kind of family programs, but you know, you see where, where programs or, or teams where they, stick with people they know instead of the best people. That's what gets them stuck in a rut. You've seen it with, with the Lakers. I only think about because, you know, I'm in California right now. That's kind of what everybody's talking about. But if the most successful organizations hire the best people and let the best people do what they do best. So hopefully they can let Kleiman do his thing and have a little more, more freedom. You saw what, when he was at North Dakota State, it was unprecedented excuse me, unprecedented success. So that could set him back in a uh, sneak peek for when we talk about the group of five Latrell, I love as a head coach, North Texas has been, been really good the last couple of years. So, um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully they let climbing do what he does. Cause he's been a really good coach. That brings us to West Virginia. Um, 
still kind of random, randomly st- the outlier in the uh, Big 12, just uh, had to find a home in the last round of conference reshuffling. Uh, they brought in Neil Brown from Troy, who was a guy I thought would have been a decent fit at UNC. Um, definitely understand why UNC went the route they did after going G5 coach last round. But Neil Brown's going to do a lot of similar things to what Dana Holgerson did. Um, again, kind of like Matt Wells at Texas Tech, probably not as devoted to a pure air raid offense as uh, Dana Holgerson was. I'm not high on West Virginia for this year just because of all the turnover that they have. Yeah, it's kind of like a resetting year. I thought Neil Brown, when coming December, teams were finishing out their games and, and the coaching carousel started going, I thought Neil Brown was maybe the best with Latrell, maybe at least one of the most viable group of five coaches that were going to go to a Power 5 team. And he didn't really get hired until Dana Holgerson left for Houston pretty late in the process. Uh, and that's when West Virginia needed him, and they got Neil Brown. He's been been pretty good at Troy. Uh, they beat LSU, I think, a couple years ago in LSU's homecoming game. Obviously, that's the game that sticks out for everybody. As far as on the field, they got Oklahoma transfer Austin Kendall uh, at quarterback, who, you know, he obviously was a backup his entire career behind Mayfield and uh, Kyler Murray, and he was going to be again behind Jalen Hurts. I think he got sick of sitting behind transfers, so he transferred himself. Uh, from, you know, other than his high school tape, he didn't play a lot at Oklahoma, so there's not a whole lot to go off of, but from what I've seen, I think he's a good, not great quarterback, and they're losing Will Greer, who I thought was the best quarterback in the conference last year, so that's gonna hurt. They're losing their top two wide receivers to the NFL. Uh, they do have, I think, the best offensive line in the Big 12, but I think losing your quarterback, losing your top two wide receivers, uh, is going to hurt them. So I, I have them seventh in the Big 12. So I might be a bit higher than you are on them, but yeah, I don't expect a whole lot. I think they'll be pushing six and six, but I think Neil Brown is one of the better coaching hires that the Big 12 made. Yeah. My baseline for West Virginia season this year is beat NC State on September 14th. And I don't really care what else you do. Um, but no, I mean, they, they lose a ton on offense, only return three starters there and only return uh, five on defense. I know they're all big 12 safety. Kenny Robinson entered the transfer portal. I haven't seen if he's landed anywhere, but they're, they're, they're on a full rebuild. And I think that's why Holgerson got out when he had the opportunity. Um, he was enough of a kind of enigmatic guy to wear a four and eight season and he probably gets fired. So. He he did a good job of getting out and getting a fresh new contract from Houston. Yeah, no, he did time that really well. Um, and as far as I've seen, Kenny Robinson, I'm looking on my computer right now. He hasn't landed anywhere yet. There, there's safety. But but yeah, it's a good year for Holgerson to get out. It, you usually don't see going from a power five to group of five, but West Virginia to Houston would be one of the few situations where you would go power five to group of five. So I think. Mm-hmm. I think overall they'll be about the same as they didn't really last year they they had a lot of hype and they they were a game away from the Big 12 championship. They lost by 3 to Oklahoma. They would have played I think they would have played Oklahoma and then somehow how the math worked out if they would have beat them. But other than that, they didn't really do a whole lot under Dana Holgerson. and they had some big wins. So I think they'll be about the same overall with Neil Brown, but this year they'll take a step back. 
Yeah, I, I think long term they'll be fine. I do think this year is going to be a struggle for them. Um, Jacob, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I didn't really think about this until I just mentioned the Big 12 realignment, but in 2025, when their grant of rights comes up, do you see the Big 12 existing after that? And if not, where do you see the big guys landing? The Texases and the Oklahomas probably all making a move somewhere. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to continue to exist. I think they're going to add some teams, either two or four. Uh, I think the reason that it's going to stay going is Texas is not going to have as much power as they do in any other conference. I think the most last time it almost became the Pac-16 in Texas and Oklahoma almost went to the Pac-12. I think USC is always going to, I talked about this last week or last time, but USC is always going to be the big boy in the Pac-12. I think Texas likes being the number one team having their own network. I don't think they'll have that continuity in the Pac-12 or, or whatever other conference they join. So I think what would be more likely is them adding teams like UCF, Memphis, BYU, uh, USF. Um, I think those are the four most likely teams. So mostly American teams plus BYU is an independent. I think they bring in more teams to expand their conference rather than it dissolving because Texas holds so much power in that conference. I could see that, or I could see a situation where Texas goes independent, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State uh, finish out the SEC as a 16-team league, and then the rest is just left fighting for it. Um, at that point, I think West Virginia to the ACC becomes viable. Maybe that helps uh, bridge the gap to South Bend, Indiana, to have Notre Dame join full-time. Although, I guess if Texas went independent, then Notre Dame would have no desire to join a conference. But... I'm still looking forward to that chaos in a few years now that the ACC seems to not be a victim of raids and, you know, every, everything else is kind of stabilized. But that that's going to be fascinating down the road. Yeah, no, I am. That would be – if Texas went independent, that would really shake some things up. So that that would be exciting. I some people hate conference realignment. I think it's exciting and and for the most part most teams I think benefit from it. So I think it's good for college football. Yeah, I I think it's good to have some fresh faces. I'm still very anti the fact that we only get to play Clemson or Florida State once every 6 years. So the next time after this year Clemson comes to Chapel Hill, I'm going to be in my mid 40s. Uh, I've got a serious issue with that. But, you know, overall, I think if you did 16 teams, maybe build out some pods or something, it could be a lot more fun as a four-conference uh, FBS. But that's not really our level of expertise, so, you know, we can uh, speculate a little bit on that down the road. But, Jacob, what do you have to plug for us uh, here this last week of July as we start to ramp up towards college football? Yeah, so the next two things probably that I'm writing, I'm doing the uh, the Tar Heel blog, we're doing our position preview. So I got the wide receivers and the defensive backs. So the wide receivers coming out early August. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I, I'm really excited about North Carolina's wide receiving core this year, especially uh, my guy, Bo Corral, as you know, I, I love I him. Say, but, you know, there's stacks of wide I was receivers, say so I'm you... excited to get into that. That's the next thing I'm working on. I was going to say you uh, got the position groups for both of your boys between uh, Corrales and um, Patrice Renee. Yeah, I was uh, as soon as that notification came out, I went in to sign him. Yeah, and Patrice Renee, 
uh, that was last week, but I interviewed him on my podcast and then the interview as well as my article about him came out last week. So that's really something you should check out. But yeah, I'm really excited to buy, write about both those groups, defensive back and wide receiver. Yes, sir. Well, I appreciate you joining me on this one and we'll do it again soon because we've still got four more of these to go at least. Um, as for me, I wrote, uh, by the time this hits yesterday about just, uh, the updated recruiting rankings from 247 and ESPN, how that affected some of Carolina's commits and kind of took a broader picture look at how this year's class compares with last year's, which is always, you know, pretty evergreen material to just say, man, Larry Fedora really, uh, really pooped the bed last year, but, um, that will be out on tarheelblog.com. When you listen to this, go ahead and uh, give that a look. But the main thing you need to do is go ahead and subscribe to this podcast feed. You will get uh, Don't Punt to Geo, the football show, as well as Between the Banners, the basketball show. Leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice, and we will read it on the air. Until next time, keep it locked and go Heels. <laughs>